everyone. Welcome to the Going in Circles Big Monday Show. My name is Charles Simon. I'm the host of the Going in Circles Big Monday Show. My partner, Barry Spears, will be with us in just a minute. Uh, we're going to talk about the final derby prep. That's uh, not really going to be very impactful in our view. And the last hours of Pompano Park. And how racing needs to change. Be back in a second. Pleasant Acre Farms is a full-service breeding operation located in Morriston, Florida, just outside of Ocala. If you want to get involved in the breeding business in the Sunshine State, or you're already involved, Pleasant Acre Farms is really the only place you need to know. Joe and Helen Barbazon, who are just great people, do a fantastic job taking care of your mare. Uh, they have a solid roster of 13 stallions with a really diverse group of pedigrees, your mare will find a match at Pleasant Acre Farms. Currently, the star of Pleasant Acre Farms stallion roster is Neolithic, who is by far a runaway winner of the freshman stallion of the year here in the state of Florida. His son, Make It Big, just made it three for three, winning the $400,000 springboard mile at Remington Park, earning 10 points towards the Kentucky Derby in the process. Pleasant Acre Farms is your one-stop shop for breeding in the state of Florida. Check them out at www.pleasantacrestallions.com or on Twitter at P-A-S Stallions. You can also give them a call at 352-528-2885. Pleasant Acre Stallions, check them out. Is this the uh, the almost derby ready sniper? Almost derby ready. Yes, yes, almost there. I gotta say that uh, I'm taking a hiatus from the derby. Hiatus from what? What do you mean? I, I used to think about it for like. Okay. I haven't really thought about it too much. I mean, I guess, you know, my my stance on it is I, I you already know who I like, and obviously that's not going to change. You know, it's not like anybody's going to be running between now and then. So unless they just get a horrible post position. Like the one. Yeah, but even well, it isn't for several weeks. And right. like you said, at this point, there just isn't very much information that we're going to get that's going to be useful. It's just mostly going to be distractions or, or people's opinions. And I and this is this will, I'll say this about literally everyone. Um I hate seeing people's opinions. <laughs> <laughs> because 
well, again, this might sound, you know, screwed up, but everybody can be mad at me. I'm not pointing anyone out in particular, but there's a lot of people that, that make these cases for these horses. And then I'm like, this, this person's stupid. And that case makes no sense. And then I, I, I become biased against that horse more so than I should be because of the reasoning that the person used. And I mean, we just get all this wild stuff that, and, and people love it. And I, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that, um, Every weekend for the last, uh, you know, five, six months since the Breeders' Cup, basically, the derby preps are, are what we've focused on. And the truth is that most people, um, that's what they want. Uh, most of our higher rated shows have, have some connection to it. And um, I know that when I write pieces about um, the derby uh, it, it preps, that they, they usually get know pretty strong number of people reading them and i mean it's the kentucky derby it, it is our biggest race and and yes it's it's an obsession that we have but uh i mean we we pretty much know the field and it just gets like the the hyperbole right the lexington was a terrible race i don't care what the number was i don't care what anyone says it was a bad race because the horses were mostly just mediocre horses going in half the field eased <laughs> literally <laughs> yeah like half of them like were beaten off i mean they were just <laughs> that didn't sound very good but um you know they they were just not like competitive beyond the the quarter pole so uh it's not that tawny port or whatever his name is isn't going to get paid a couple hundred grand for winning it and doesn't deserve credit for winning it but he's not good now He's still slow. He was slow going in, and he beat a, a bunch of other slow horses, and he's still slow. He's not going to win. I can I can almost guarantee you this. But all of a sudden, people are like, well, oh, he handles the dirt. Well, he handled the dirt fine in New Orleans. He just wasn't good enough because the other horses were a lot better. He got the same thoroughgraph number as he did on the synthetics when he was winning. It wasn't that he was just not handling the dirt. It's just he wasn't that good. And and <laughs> can he improve? Of course. Of course. Of course. That's the whole key is to get improving horses in this race. But he's got to improve a massive amount. I don't even know what his number was. Uh, but I, I can't I can't believe that it, that it would be a huge jump up because that means that three or four of them all jumped at the same time. And, and that just is very unlikely to happen. Anyways, that's my my. I'm with you. Today. I'm with you though because I, I you you do see a lot of just absurd takes surrounding things. Like there's this one guy. I see, he just talks about trying to hit the Derby Superfecta, which isn't a bad premise. But I mean, the the guy readily admits he probably hit one in the last like ten years. And it's like, and his opinions are awful. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like handicapping off of a nominations list. Right. It's, I mean, we kind of know who's going to be in there, but it's a 20-horse field. And there's a lot of factors that, that matter. And uh, think about where we were three weeks ago before <laughs> this last round of derby preps when it seemed like the derby pace was going to be 
fast, uh, supersonic path, fast, right? You had uh, classic Causeway, you had Forbidden Kingdom, you had uh, um, what's the the horse, the Chad Brown horse that had won the withers that you know, went, you know, goes to the lead all the time. You had a couple other ones, Morello, Morello, <laughs> um, oh, 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 even going back to um, um, Epicenter. You know, he, he's just now is just recently he's become a, a horse that doesn't want to be on the lead. So it, it went from that to like everything's changed. And yeah, the, the complexion of the race probably isn't going to change much. And, and if anyone does drop out, right, the, the it's mostly not, not real contender is going to be drawing in. But Right. And they're all, you know, anybody that draws in at this point isn't going to be worth a damn. You know, if they get lucky, that it's certainly possible. But, you know, conventional wisdom would tell you if, if they weren't good enough to be in the field originally, <laughs> they probably weren't, you know, the way the points work and everything, they probably won't be much of a factor if they do draw in. No, this, this has been a bad year. This is not a good year. for. This is not a solid year. I don't care what people say, tell you, try to convince you of that. Just, just look at a lot of the winners a lot of the winners of the preps have already dropped out. <laughs> Those are the winners. <laughs> and some of these lightly race horses, they're just waiting to, to, to show that they really aren't that good. They're, they're soup and sandwiching it. They're ready to soup and sandwich it. Zozos, I'm talking to you, buddy. But, um, yeah, it's just uh, people putting fair market value and this and that. And the other thing, it's like, oh, just stop, man. I just... Remember when they jumped all over that horse materiality a few years ago? Yeah. Like horse. That's Every year, there's there's one or two like that. <laughs> and, well, I mean, think think about some of the crazy horses that have run in the Kentucky Derby. Going back, Groovy ran in the Kentucky Derby. Because <laughs> he had earnings. And I know you got to be kind of old to, to realize who that is, but it's straight up sprint, man. Yeah, I mean, fastest horses alive. It's almost preposterous to think that, that they would someone that's one point would said, you know what, mile and a quarter for him, <laughs> ten furlongs. He had a hard time with six, uh, and he was an extremely fast, an extremely good horse, a very talented horse. So I don't want Carlos Martin to get on my case anymore. Teufelsberg. Teufel, <laughs> Carlos got on my case one day when I I, I made a, a disparaging remark about Groovy on Twitter. <laughs> oh, uh, but he, he's he was defending his dad, and and that's what you're supposed to do. And he actually was right. I, I was actually I I misremembered because uh, getting. <laughs> but um yeah i mean there's just a, there's a long ways to go and it's a difficult race no matter how you think you've got to figure it out because the best horse doesn't have to win the best five horses don't have to win i mean what's what did i say last week it's a mile and a quarter if you're in the one path the whole way <laughs> so it's 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 not, you know, it's a complicated race. And this year it's it's even more complicated because you have so many late type bloomers and horses that are so um, lightly raced. And, you know, the Japanese horses are suddenly like factors, right? They were like tosses for a long time. And now since the Breeders' Cup, 
and then all the you know the the middle eastern big days the, the japanese are, are are forces now now we're looking at a horse that that's coming out of the uae derby which i mean the uae derby's been so bad as a derby prep that i mean we we didn't even cover it last year we didn't even pay one iota of attention to it well not only that but he hasn't had a race since he hasn't had a race and he and he's also done you know done a lot of shipping which is always a little bit of an x factor when you consider um horses going over to the middle east a lot of times when they come back they're not quite as sharp and i guess it's not quite a, a big of a thing as it was at one time but he came from japan he went from japan to dubai to the u.s so he has two races this year one of which was not a great race the race in japan where he ran, he, he ran in a mile race and and just kind of i think he was sixth so it's it's uh you know to me he's not a horse i'm gonna use but uh people will and i don't know i i i, I made this proclamation i wasn't gonna think about the derby and i went for 10 minutes we you're talking about, it. about it right now see i duped you i got I, i'm trying to like 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 clear my mind <laughs> like meditate like a buddha meditate i actually I'm, i was tired today what i was really tired today yeah the yesterday was uh, i went to the races i was i was at goldstream all day the whole day and then um i went over to the pomp last night and and despite Gabe's proclamation that we'd be done by eleven thirty, it was no way. Uh, well past twelve thirty. No races. <laughs> but um, he really said that. Well, he he might have mentioned that to Beamy, but uh, you know he was he. he, he I I'll give him. He, he had did. a lot of he had a lot of stress yesterday. Yeah, that's not, that. You know that was very sad, all the way around. I just hated to watch it and. It was like, you know, watching a, a a car accident or something in slow motion. Yeah, it's it's, it's, not, it's, it's not it's the I just hated it. it you know, and, and I loved everything that everybody did, you know, between the the match race and you know, it was quite a send off, but at the same time it's like, well, why wasn't this happening earlier? Or why couldn't we have happened, you know, have this sort of momentum behind a racetrack all the time, not just when it's dying? It is a quote that I, I made last night. Standing in, it seemed like there was maybe, I don't even know how to guess how many people were there. And it's a little difficult because, um, you know, it's such a weird layout how many people were upstairs in the simulcast area and but there was probably you know 1200 1500 people there and on a usual sunday there's usually about 75 80 people there and and my comment was where the hell have all these people been you know like hey if they're going to support it when it when it's out why weren't they supporting it at least on track right and and i mean it's a little bit of it is i mean it's the pomp is not known for its um <laughs> accommodation. Yeah, I mean there, there's there's 
not much there. And before COVID, they had the outdoor bar that the the French Canadians were seemed intent on on making everyone in the area get lung cancers. They just smoked cigarettes like smokestacks. <laughs> and then uh, there was some chairs that you know, and tables that were fine, except for some of the the, uh, the degeneracy that, that was going on there. And then they had kind of like stadium seating that weren't all, wasn't all that comfortable. And some of it wasn't even covered. So, um, and then that was kind of, you know, you had the apron where, the, and they did have some benches and some picnic tables and stuff like that. But, but it was just more of a like, uh, and it wouldn't have mattered. Let, let's let's like be clear yeah, about that. No. It wouldn't have mattered. In the end, the land is worth in in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And the projects that they have planned there, though, I mean, I'm kind of putting a little curse on them and hoping they like find quicksand or something. But um, they're worth tremendous amounts of money that no racetrack would be able to, you know ward off i mean it's just the location of the land between two of the major florida south the south florida highways yeah prime real estate man there's a lot of you know it's a lot of undeveloped land there's a lot of it's not like they got a lot of stuff to tear down they got the grandstand the barns and stuff but (laughs) it's not difficult stuff um I sound like I know what I'm talking about, like real estate. Well, I probably don't sound like I know what I'm talking about, but it's just a giant piece of property. And then it's, I mean, how much, you know, they handled 1.4 million last night, which was, I think, the third highest handle ever. And that's pretty impressive considering that, um, you know, New York people were shut out. That's right. Because of a just a, ludicrous law that's just insane that you can bet sports but you can bet on people but you can't bet on horses because the easter bunny doesn't want you to <laughs> yeah that's it, it's just nuts you know like it was funny that some people were there, there's always the curmudgeons oh my god you people are racing on easter it's like yeah it's a holiday. It's a day that we race. And, you know, what do we, it's a, it's, oh, well, oh, you can't take a day off. Like we race three days a week, m- most places now. We, we have, most weeks we have more days off than we have days on. Like give it a rest. <laughs> I mean, there's people like me who's, you know, like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go hunt for Easter eggs. No, I want to go to the track. You didn't? And I, and I bet about, nine bucks yesterday total but it just was uh well to get back to my original thought i i, I was tired <laughs> i didn't get home till about one one forty five last night and i had planned on getting the barbecue you know the last pomp barbecue but i didn't get there till the second race and apparently the pomp barbecue people think that there was going to be a big crowd because they were sold out by that time so Ooh. yeah Cakes. so then i was starving after the races and of course it's easter sunday so nothing's open and i wound up at a at a at a shady looking 7-eleven 
<laughs> getting some nachos. <laughs> no, I did not. I I, I got something packaged. <laughs> I, I, I got a packaged product. <laughs> not something that had been brewing for about 19 hours in a row. Oh, man. Too I bad. did survive that, but, man, I was so tired. And, and then, you know, like you get home from the track and you're a little bit wired up and um start watching replays I, I, you know what i watched i watched the uh, the lakers show the hbo show oh i haven't gotten into that yet it's it's pretty good it's it's you know it was just long enough it was just i was just young enough during that that i don't remember all of the d- details right i mean it's like sometimes um it, it this really gets me when they do horse movies horse movies are the worst for me because i'm thinking like that's not pimlico that's not this, you know, like oh, that's man. not how it was. That trainer didn't do that. Well, that that wasn't the sequence of races. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm being secretariat uh, was the worst, man. Yeah, was... I, I've, I I watched about half of that. I was like, this is this this is like this sucks. I can't I can't take it anymore. So, um, yeah, that that's the thing. But it, it's it's just beyond. Uh, and also, like sports didn't get covered back then, like it it's covered now or we know everything about everything and and we have videos of the guys walking in the arena walking out of the arena <laughs> like we know all of that goes on now and back then uh nba games the finals championships were were, were often tape delayed and showed at 11 o'clock at night so it was a little different, but no, it's, it's it's an interesting show, and and I would understand why Jerry West would be pissed off because they kind of make him seem like a douche, and I don't know that he's, you know, maybe he's a little prickly or difficult, but uh, he he's not portrayed very well in this this. Uh, yeah, I get show. it. I kind of get mixed. Uh, it's pretty good though. Like it's worth no watching. I, I I was. I questioned it when I first started watching, and I was like, you know what? If th- this this is gonna be like one of those things, after 15 minutes, I'm gonna say this sucks, and I'm not gonna watch it. But right, it, it seemed like a little cartoony. But it it is it is good. It, it is they've done a, a pretty good job, and and the basketball scenes are are realistic. I mean, it's they they really must have you know done a lot of homework on that because it it doesn't seem um, you know clownish at all. It, it seems real and. I mean, the guy that plays Magic kind of looks like him. The guy that plays Kareem really looks like him. Um, so, what about the Larry Bird guy? Huh? The Larry Bird guy. He doesn't look, look quite as much, but it part it'd be hard to find an actor that looks like Larry Bird. True. I mean, Larry was a great player, but Larry is not one of the most attractive people ever. <laughs> Telling him but, he um, said that. Yeah, he'd probably bury a jumper in my face and then tell me about it. But, but, um, yeah, so, you know, like, so I, I was, I was dead all day today. And somehow or another, I lost my, my debit card somewhere along the line. God damn. <laughs> That's what happens when Gabe keeps you up past midnight like i felt a, bad i felt bad I, feel, I still feel bad for gabe i mean gabe seems like a, a like a lost puppy that doesn't know where to go you know he's like it's her i mean the guy puts so much effort into into this place over the years and you know i, I think he arrived as the track announcer and didn't have um 
you know, didn't really know exactly what he was getting himself into and, and, um, like got there and, and saw the, the potential. And I mean, it didn't happen overnight, but I mean, what they've done, what, you know, what he's basically done over the last three or four years is really amazing. And, um, I mean, we've talked about it before. I had him on the, the other show last year and, um, it just perfect proof that uh, success comes in many different varieties that you don't have to have fancy clubs. You don't have to have fancy stake races. You don't have to have fancy uh, trainers. You don't have to have um, big name horses. Um, you can, you can take the, uh, the attractive part of the business from a wagering standpoint. And you can do everything in your power to try to um, bring that into focus. And uh, what, what do you always say? Control the controllables. That's it. You know, don't have overlapping wagers. Have it, you know, got, he, he got them to put a 12% pick four in that turned a lot of people onto the pump. A lot of people started playing the place simply because they had that wager and they figured, hey, at 12%, we have a shot here. And that's how a lot of people were introduced to it, which is is you know, some information that other tracks should use. Um, they don't seem to get the message. I mean, I, I, I've heard that the Stronic uh, 5 is, now, is not being not going to do it anymore why just because of the uh the championship meet quote-unquote i have no idea why they're not going to do it that but was, whatever the reason it's probably I mean, not a very good one bet that's like one of the few that are out there i mean you could even put in that uh three dollar you know keeneland pick three in there it's a good bet it's a very good bet and, and i mean from, the strong the, the dollar minimum you know, it, it's, it's a hell of a bet. I can't believe they're not doing that. No, it's a low takeout bet, and, and it gets eyes on the product. Like, from my standpoint, I will never watch Golden Gate races. Like, I just have no interest in them. Um, Not just because they run on the, the, the tapioca, but because I just, you know, it's it's I just don't have a, At that time of the day, I'm just not interested in thoroughbreds, and I just never really got into that track and um you know but but you're forced to look at it i can't tell you how many times that that was my only handle on a friday yeah laurel too i mean laurels i would actually start to look at some of the laurel races and i hate myself every time i bet laurel because something always seems to be like the other day like a moron i bet on a horse who was ridden by a bug boy in a stake race and the, the kid rode like a bug boy and got the horse beat for second and, um, you know, I lamented a little bit in our little uh, chat group there, but um, I wasn't even aware that he was a triple, a seven pound, <laughs> not a five pound bug, a seven pound bug. And he rode like it. And after the race, I was like, man, this guy sucks. And then, and then <laughs> Julian said, you know, he's a seven pound bug. I was like, oh, <laughs> well, that makes sense because he rode like a seven pound bug would ride. I mean, just, you know, anyways, um, no, it's, it's, it seems like the tracks still don't get it that, that low take bets are 
things that can be attractive that attract people to your signal. I mean, it did with Pompano, and Pompano has done this with no big trainers, with no stakes races, with one guy for the most part dominating as a driver. Um, and it's, it's, you know, the way he, he, you know, the way Gabe set the betting menu, it, it worked. And they would put up um, guarantees that were not just, uh, I mean, it was a big ITP thing. He would laugh when a track would put up a guarantee of like 25,000 when, when there was no chance that it wouldn't get, you know, 50,000, you know, it was just like the weakest guarantee it was almost worthless, but you know, Gabe listened and he, and he put up sometimes, I remember he, he put up a hundred thousand dollar guarantee that one time and he sweated it out. I was sitting there in the office and, uh, and they got it, you know, I mean, it wasn't even close. It got to like 170 and like things like that, that that's how you, you maximize the gambling side. And that's, that's a part of the business that it's wild to me that so many tracks still almost punt on it. And, and the the same stupid, um, philosophies about you know the betters the betters the betters and it's like the betters there's not one better type it's not one person who's a better there's there's like a whole wide variety of players you have your your small time players you have your people that are weekend players you have guys that that bet a couple thousand a day then you have guys that bet a hundred thousand dollars a day then you have guys that bet even more than that and the computer guys so there's a whole wide you know, variance between uh, the lowest, you know, rung on the betting ladder to the highest. And yet everyone's still treated as a better. And it's just, uh, it, it it's mind boggling. Well, I mean, just from a, a, a traditional business perspective, right? When you're trying to improve your product, you consult somebody that is an expert in whatever it is that you're trying to improve. I don't understand why this doesn't happen in racing. There's because a you know why, Barry? It, they never had to do it before. No, because they, for yeah, so long they had right? a monopoly on, on on gambling, and uh, I mean, casino gambling is so unlike race gambling, that, you know, paramutual wagering that it was never even kind of seen as, as a competitor of sorts because it was just totally different, and they just never had competition, and with sports wagering, just like. It's not even looming anymore. It's like a giant dark cloud. And we see a lot of racing suits that want to kind of, you know, join in on it. And it's think, you know, my thinking is like, no, no, well, no, no. You need to learn why people, what is attractive to players who are, 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 changing their handle over to sports and the people that are now betting more than they ever bet because yeah we're not going to have the familiarity with the sport that the average fan has i mean most people know more about football or baseball or basketball than they do about horse racing that's that's a given that's not going to change but the pricing the models and and so much else that um 
that we haven't really adapted and you know and it makes sports in a lot of ways a better play okay so here's the question, here's the question i have then so they you know i'm assuming that they see all these numbers they understand the fact that things are kind of on the decline and there's a major competitor in the room right so you say that they don't want or they they don't believe they they had the you know they they don't have the wherewithal to to be able to adapt to this for whatever reason is it because there's so much of the quote unquote old regime in place at the top that they can't recognize what's going on because they just never had to or are they just blatantly just not doing it for i mean i i just have a hard time understanding why these things haven't been adapted to or even attempted to change it's they, it's the same it's the same when i was a kid as it is now pretty much i mean give or take a few bets here and there but the same philosophy or the same uh attack to try to bring in revenue seems exactly the same as it was i mean just thinking not even in a sports capacity just regular business they don't think that they need to change in order to make things better i mean they they have to know somebody up at at the top has to understand that this isn't going the way it should be we've seen better days how can we try to recreate that or push things in an upward trend because everything now is downward trending and this is me talking and i haven't you know you know i i, I do read a lot and stuff like that but it, at least i can recognize there's a problem that needs to be fixed <laughs> it seems like that the, that isn't happening elsewhere or where it counts where somebody can make decisions to do like what Gabe was doing um, to drum interest into a product and, and, and kind of maximize whatever they can out of what they're doing. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. I can't grasp the reasoning as to why these things don't happen. Over the last several years since sports wagering became legalized in this country, what changes have taken place in racing? Voluntary changes, not oh, these guys got arrested. What 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 changes have 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 occurred? I can't remember any. I I can't recall. No, there haven't been any. <laughs> and part of the issue is, someone asked me about a particular racetrack and said, "Well, you know, what would you do in charge?" I said, "What would I do in charge if I was in charge?" I said, and I had carte blanche to do what I want, like realistically. Yeah. I said, I would fire everyone. It was, well, you know, what do you mean everyone? I was, I, I would fire everyone, every single person that worked there. And he goes, well, I, I, I said, no, that, that's what I would do. And some of the people that are actually, you know, good people, good workers that are just, um, you know, maybe put in situations that they're, they're not able to thrive or, or you know, they're, they're, they're not able to, express themselves uh things like that yeah th those would be people that you would rehire um but in, in a lot of ways racetracks have to like totally 
changed completely and and right. changed the culture. I mean, look, the whole... look at the things that ITP bangs on all the time, and he's very specific. He doesn't talk about um, you know regulation very much and and, and things like that that are kind of like hot topics. He is an expert at gambling, at wagering, at betting. That's his expertise, and that is the area that he focuses on. And well, shouldn't racetracks focus on that? Well, that <laughs> seems obvious, that, but you know, it seems, it seems right. It seems, well, it, that, I think that's the catch in that you know, if you if you listen to what he's saying, and and if people in positions of power would listen, even though. He's, you know, more sort of, you know, insulting them and, you know, calling them names, which which isn't always the best way to get people to listen to you. But the fact of the matter is that what he's saying, it's true. And his logic is 100% valid. And yet we're so happy in this business to see a, a 0.4% increase in something that we say, oh, this is great. And, you know, this was, was the, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's just like racetrack sometimes. Um, in the winter, uh, Gulfstream or, or Santa Anita has a big handle day or even the fairgrounds. A lot of times you look back and say, wow, look, the handle is really good that day. We must have had great races. No. What happened was up north, the, the, the races got canceled. So there was... Just fewer opportunities. Just look at the COVID situation when we only had like three tracks running and Foner was doing a couple million dollars. Well, they were doing a couple million dollars not because of anything they did well. They just happened to be the only game in town. So, like, no one should have come out of Foner and said, hey, you know, we're smart now. Look, look, you know, it works. No. It was circumstances beyond their control that they just happened to benefit from, and and that that happens you know all the time, and and uh, it's it's part of the the problem. Racing just can't seem uh, as a whole to look at issues and you know be critical about them. Everyone's defending themselves all the time, and uh, just like ITP says, the tickets, just the ticket structures, then the. The horrible ticket structures that are put out and having people that are that are far from wagering experts giving out wagering advice makes no sense. It makes no sense. But it, it again, we continue to keep doing it and instead thinking, well, maybe there's a different way. Maybe we could employ people that have some expertise in that area. Um no, it's 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 just not. It's the same formula, and it's the same formula that it's been, and it, it's the you know the TVGs that the same as it's always been. Well, it, same as it's always been, and, and and even the tickets they give out, like a lot of times, you know they're they're giving out tickets and they're, and they're they're restricted by the number, you know they're giving out a forty eight dollar ticket when the ticket when the sequence might call for a huge ticket, or other times when it. it it wouldn't and other times and you know honestly your advice would be hey if you're you feel the need to play this i think it's really tough i have a hard time coming up with anything solid but you know this is what i might do but that that's just being honest well it, it seems to me that you know whoever's in charge of those decisions doesn't understand or fully understand the value of giving 
sound betting advice to the public. And it just doesn't make sense to me because essentially that's the backbone of your product. So you have, you know, these people that, you know, are are out there, you know, making tickets and giving out information. Um, But I guess it was just always been lost since, you know, like I said, since I was a kid, you know, there was only a couple of people or places that you could find good wagering, sound wagering advice. And usually it was in a book written by somebody, you know, um, and now, you know, the way technology is, social media, you can get a lot of that good information out to the people in a certain way. And it's just like, it just seems like they just disregard it at every turn. Like it's not important. Well, not only that, Barry, the, the takeout numbers, especially at tracks that have, that have slots or tracks that uh, have other, you know, sources of, of, of revenue that, you know, the numbers should be lower and lower and lower. And it never really seems to get there. I mean, what, what was the last significant takeout? Um, decreased. Uh, it was decreased <laughs> somewhere. I think, I think the last one I remember was a few years ago and it was parks and it, it went from really atrocious to. Oh yeah. Right. The, the super <laughs> like 36%. Now yeah, only like 26%. It, was like, it was awful to like bad. <laughs> And it still has room for improvement, of course. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, honestly, any track that has or slots has no excuse. Has no excuse to have any any wager, any wager over twenty percent. None, none. There's no excuse for it. It just isn't. And and understandably, there's different <laughs> situations for different tracks. And like in New York, you have to get. You have to get like the the legislature's approval or something like that, which is of course Chris too. But um, I mean, the the legalities and the the, the myriad of of state laws that that we have to deal with are are a pain in the ass. But in the end, a business that makes a um, you know ha- has the proper uh, political connections which, you know, us in racing should have um, because, I mean, racing does bring in a lot of money for, for states. And I know that sometimes the argument about ancillary income from from racing and all the businesses associated with racing gets the eye roll, but it's true. And they do bring in a lot of money that brings a lot of money for the state. Maybe in a lot of cases, it doesn't bring in the money from the state that... Uh, that uh, casinos bring in but casinos are also 24 7 for the most part too um i mean racing schedules have been pared down to the the point like we made the point earlier you know you guys really need to run that extra day it's like we, we don't run very much now so yeah it's it's not a big deal i mean it's it's uh you know racing three days a week we're not racing six days a week anymore so but the point i guess is that um there's not a lot of introspective looking at each at ourselves. And, um, you know, I hear 
people say, well, heist will be great. Well, no, heist is not going to be great. Heist is not going to make take up. Heist is not going to make it easier for the, to, to, to make more money. It's so crazy to me. It's like, you know, like I always say, control the controls. They have control over the gambling product itself. Right. Like the wagering menu, takeout. That stuff can be fixed. And if you have that on lockdown and you're doing right there, you can concentrate on some of the other stuff that needs to be fixed, you know, but now you have this hodgepodge of all these issues and it's like, you know, it seems like the people in charge just don't know where to start or just, just don't care enough about it to, or or they've made a lot of poor decisions. Right. I mean, but it's okay, you know. And 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 they don't, they don't they don't they 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 continue to defend those poor decisions right. because they want to stay employed. Right, and that's what I was gonna say. It's it's okay to be, you know admit like all right, well we started going down this path, but it didn't work, so we're gonna try something else. That's okay. That that's why that's why my advice is to fire everyone, so that there's no one that that's gonna hold on to a bad idea because it was their idea and they don't want to take the heat for it. Start anew, and and. I understand also that you know you can't just fire the entire <laughs> the entire <laughs> workforce of a of a business, um, but uh, that it's it's more of the you know get rid of all the people making the decisions and evaluate some of the ones that may actually be okay that just you know were were unable to um, you know to to be to 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 use their voice. I hear from quite a few people that work in the racing industry that would love to do things differently, but they can't. Right. Because they're not the ultimate decision maker or yep. they don't listen to them anyway. <laughs> so it's like, you know, yep. you're stuck. <laughs> right. And I'm sure that's like, I'm sure it's like in every business, there's always businesses that have yep. it, but this, this business doesn't have like <laughs> a, um, a department of of research that is, you know, kind of, you know, we got what's his name, Pat Cummings, doing the Thoroughbred Ideas Foundation, but that's basically one guy, right? That's, that's one trying dude. to, you know, one maybe, dude worked on wagering security and this and that, and and even that gets a lot of criticism. But but the point being that that um, despite being in a gambling business very little focus is put on the gambling and it's just it's just bizarre and um to me it, it just is a giant weakness that's just not getting done just not getting fixed and every single track is underperforming in my eyes every one of them when you look at the amount of money that's bet on sports on a daily basis and we've talked about this before mm-hmm. yes getting 20% of that market was probably unrealistic. But what about 5% of it? (laughs) New Jersey's on pace. New Jersey. Just New Jersey (laughs) is on pace to handle more on sports this year than the entire North American racing um, handle. Imagine when Florida gets online, because it's going to happen. New York, I don't even know what the numbers are in New York. New York's numbers were were were, were, were ludicrous in the beginning. Yeah, I was gonna and, say, and some of it was fueled by they were giving away like you know ridiculous amounts of money. You know, like it was like 
deposit 400 we give you 400 so yeah a lot of that was fueled by by that but still it the numbers have been hugely solid and um it's gonna dwarf us it's gonna be 100 million maybe not next year maybe not the year after maybe not the year after but the other point that i think that gets lost when you look at the big picture People that have a job, okay. Say you're you're Barry and and, and you're in charge of uh, huh. uh, Barry Downs, it's good new, new 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 track and and Daytona. Well, you don't have all that much time to take in the global considerations. You have you're running your business. You're 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 running your racing business. Even if you're just doing the racing side, and you leave someone else to do the food and beverage and all that other crap. You're trying to attract horsemen. You're trying to um, work the condition book. You're trying to work about uh, on the backside, making sure the conditions are good, and, and making sure the track surfaces are good, and uh, put together you know races that are attractive. Blah blah blah. It's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of you know. It's, it's not that you have uh, you can knock that off in a dozen hours a week, and then you have you know thirty hours to try to fix the work, racing's problems. From a global standpoint, that's that's true. But we should have some sort of of not McKinsey, okay? McKinsey's just a um, you know you know consultants, but they consult like every business and and some of their ideas that the Jockey Club has paid an exorbitant amount of money for. Are just you know like duh. <laughs> you know, racing would be great if it was on TV. Really? Uh, get out of here. Uh, 800000 for that? It'd be great if it was on national TV. Well, yeah, you're right. That's sure. I mean, how, how's, how's that going to be bad? Oh, it would be better if the food and beverage were, were, were you know, it was, a, it was a nicer experience at the track. Get out of here. Really? <laughs> a nicer experience at the track would, would be attractive? You're kidding me. <laughs> you know, oh, you know, it'd be really nice if they didn't run races out over the top of each other. You're right; they wouldn't be. But guess what? They do it on purpose. That's not a mistake. That's not just incompetence. Even though in racing, sometimes it's easy to, to to think that things are are due to incompetence. A lot of times, racetracks are running their track their their races over the top of other people's races, and it's it's done on purpose. It's done on purpose. Post drag done on purpose keeps that track on the top of the list on the adws you're on top when you post drag sucks when you're at the track but it's a viable business strategy and it works and yes there's probably a a limit to how much you want to do it. It is kind of ridiculous when horses are in the paddock and there's zero minutes to post. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's sick. gotten it's gotten to be like the Meadowlands is like the the, the Mount Everest of of post drag. I don't know. Charlestown is pretty. They're, they're up there, dude. I, I don't I don't regard Charlestown. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Sorry, people there at Chucktown, but um, no, it, it's uh, it's 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 not it's not a mistake. It's not a mistake that races. Or run over the top of each other. Sometimes it is. I mean, today they had uh, two tracks running, Parks and Will Rogers. 
a couple times they ran same time. Same time. <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, but um, that's the thing that that that's the thing that that the Pompano experience should have enlightened people to. And I would gather that ninety-seven percent of racing executives have no idea what happened there. Only ninety-seven percent. Yeah, I think there's three percent that that probably know, but thoroughbreds, not 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 trotter executives. The, the, yeah. Those guys, they should all know. They should all know, but the the thoroughbreds, because um, I I would almost guarantee you. Because you know what, they'd be they'd be trying to employ him. I they would be they would try to bring him in to fix their product. I would, <laughs> for sure, of course. I would, uh, you know, because he's he's. It's not like it's not proven. He's done it in other places. So, you know, he, he's got a track record. You can't say that, oh, well, he just doesn't have the track record with such and such. And, and you know, some of it is passion as well. I mean, there is some of it that he <laughs> Probably just, 90% of it. He just really cares about it. And he, but the thing is that Gabe is a player. He bets. He came into this, is a better. He wasn't born into it. His father wasn't uh, a, a trainer or, or you know, it, it, it comes from... Um, he comes from a, 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 a background that, that's not, has almost nothing to do with racing other than, you know, living in Kentucky. So, but that's not an excuse. That's, that's also not an excuse, but, um, it's natural for him to understand what betters want. And, and he listened too. I mean, he isn't was engaging and he uh I'm kind of talking about him like he's dead right oh yeah, he was great <laughs> he's dead now yeah. but um and, and 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 that was kind of the social media part that really capped it off and got them over that that hump that over the last few years they've been doing over a million dollars that signal doing over a million dollars coming from where it came from is is a, the success story of the decade um it, it really is it it truly is and well it should be it, it should be an example for the industry not just harness but thoroughbred as well i mean it's it's possible you just have to take the time there's no difference really have, you have to no there isn't you just have to take the time be passionate and listen you know what I mean? Listen to what, what the customers are telling you and the people are saying. And, and they're doing that through their handle and, and, and complaints about takeout. And, you know, it's not that difficult. I mean, yeah, some of it can be. But I'm talking about the, the, the concept of the things that Gabe does and was doing. They weren't that difficult. And it was just the will, you know, more than anything else. And, 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 that, and, and even it, even the last day, I mean, the last day was great, and there was a lot of people out there, and it was sad. And, but it, it could have even been better, but it, it got ruined. Well, I mean, it got ruined just a little bit because there should have been a massive super high five carryover in the final race that they ever ran. But it got hit the other day. <laughs> you know, you know who hit it? Gabe. Batch players. Oh, yeah. Put 6,000 combinations in. And they hit it. 
And of course, now there was, you know, they took it away. Nameless, faceless people. And that that's, that's you know, uh, two, uh, two biggest track companies embrace those people. I mean, and, and it, it shouldn't be, it, it really isn't a black and white argument, but no, the, the, the late odds changes. Now we've seen a couple of Tampa that, that have been, you know, really kind of egregiously late. And I've said it before. I don't believe that I, I do not 100% believe that there aren't people that are being able to, to wager into our pools after the, the things are closed or supposedly closed. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. If you read Pat Cummings 12, that was a 12 piece, 12 episode, not episodes. What's the word I'm looking for? Well, point plan. The, the thing about wagering security did last oh, year. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When you read that, and you realize that a lot of what we're told is lip service. It's not true. It's not actually happening. That the tow companies are are far from gold standards. They're not the Treasury Department here. Well, we found out some things that we thought were like gospel in the past few years, as far as being able to put horses back in the pool. <laughs> yeah, Stuff right. Like that. So it's like. You know, yeah, hold on, hold on. You can unscratch a horse, right? We we found that out, and we yeah. all thought that was impossible until. <laughs> I'm going to share a story with you. Accident about a friend of mine that went to a track in Florida, and the way Florida is, the reason that that Tampa runs the those two days in the summer is because of some of the archaic, ludicrous laws that they have. <laughs> concerning fiscal year and, and, and the tracks that are running and essentially there's what's called a host track. So when paramutuals in Florida, before the real rise of ADWs, when simulcasting was taking off, there was a lot of paramutual uh, facilities in Florida, lots of dog tracks, lots of high lie, um, you know, lots of racetracks. And Calder was the host at the time because Calder ran the most days and Calder was the only track to run in the summer. Tampa didn't run in the summer. Gulfstream didn't run in the summer. And Tampa was running during that fiscal year turnover. The Florida fiscal year is um, goes to June 30th. So the first day of fiscal year is July 1st, which is why Tampa runs the straddles those two days. Well, the host track is where all the bets go to before they go to the track that you're betting on. So if you went to Dania Highly and you made a bet on Keeneland, Dania Highly was taking your bet. They were sending it to Gulf or to Calder and Calder was sending it through to Keeneland. Calder of course made a, a fraction of a percent on each bet it sent through basically for being the host, uh, why they did this, I, I don't know. I'm sure there was a reason why they did it at the time. Well, so everybody wants to be a host when Calder, you know, ultimately you know, fell to its demise. Then Gulfstream was running in the summertime. Well, Tampa found a clause that if they ran on first day of the fiscal year and the last day of the fiscal year, then they too could be a host. So 
they did that and they got some of the business. So they are the ones that are contracting out with the various tracks around the country to take the action from the other tracks in Florida. So now it's split between Gulfstream and Tampa. It's basically, it's, it's you know, it, it's free money for them. If you walk in a, a the, the place in dog track and highlight or highlight in Jacksonville and make a bet at Keeneland, it goes through Tampa. Tampa makes a little little tiny cut on a customer that's not theirs on a product that's not theirs. They're just the middleman. So for them, it makes a tremendous amount of sense. Right. They put no brainer. <laughs> right. The only money they put in is to run those two days, and obviously they they're making a lot more money. Um, on it than they would just to put those two days of racing on. So anyways, my friend went, went in a racetrack down here, Pompano, and made wagers on the first day of Keeneland on the Friday. And he put them in early, um, you know, in the 11s, 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock. He actually had the winner of the first race, the two-year-old race, and I think the horse paid like twelve dollars, and he, you know, he bets he bets pretty good, and um, and I think he had he bet uh, a couple other races, and then and the rest of them lost, or maybe one of them won or two. But so, anyways, he comes on Saturday morning, and he and he puts his uh, ticket in the machine in the voucher, uh, and of course he's there in the morning again before any any other tracks are open, and it comes out about eighteen hundred dollars shy of. Of what it was supposed to be, so he had multiple <laughs> tickets. So, so he figured um, maybe one of the tickets got stuck in the machine because you know they do have old machines there. So there, there just happened to be a guy that was uh, the guy that you know opens the machines and clears out the empty tickets, the old tickets, and you know, I don't know what they do with them, but uh, just happened to be there. And he said, hey, could you come in here, come, come here, open the machine up and see if one of my tickets got stuck here? Because, uh, you know, this is supposed, this balance is supposed to be a lot higher than it is. And the guy came over, he opened it up and said, no, no, it's, 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 you know, tickets are both, they're all processed. So he's like, like, what, you know, what the hell happened? So he took the tickets and went down the customer service and explained the situation. And then he was told that the first three races from from Keeneland on opening day were all refunds. He's like, what do you mean refunds? All oh, that the first three races from Keeneland were refunded. And he's like, how? No, they weren't. That, that would be like the biggest news in the industry if Keeneland screwed up and, and had to refund the first three races. This didn't happen. I know people that were there, you know, like, so come to find out what had happened is that <clears throat> The trash. Some of the bets are taken through Gulfstream. Some of the bets are taken through Tampa, depending on which track it is. Um, I think it has something to do with the affiliation. You know, to they have uh, uh, Monarch has their group of tracks, and Churchill's got their group of tracks. So, I think it has something to do with that um, where it goes through. So, what they had been doing was trying to run the bets through Gulfstream. But Keeneland is as a Tampa track. So Gulfstream was sent the money, but they don't have, um, you know, uh, I think a ticket bet at Gulfstream actually goes through Tampa as well. So they they didn't know what to do with the money, so they just sent it back 
to Pompano. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Imagine explaining so, that to somebody. Well, and trust me, you got the version at the end of when when we when everything has been figured out as to what happened. Right, that's what I mean. How are you going to explain that? Like during it was kind of like uh nobody knew. I'm sure nobody knew anything. They were like, I don't know what happened. No, it, it was very confusing and 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 you know, it it's um it's uh, it, it just is, it shows the complications still that still exist um, that we're not all that privy to. I mean, when you go and you make a wager at a racetrack on another racetrack, you're just assuming that everything's you know your money's getting into the pool, and <laughs> I mean it's it's all done properly, but right, and there was no way for him to know. No, of course he he has no idea. I mean, and and it's it was just a mistake on the part of the track, and they'd made good on it. They did make good on it. So they did, huh? Yep. Mm-hmm. But um, it was and it, it helped that he you know he he knows people, so he's not just a. He, he was he he, he kind of knows the business, and and he was able to ask the right questions and and. Um, but it's 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 a very confusing model still, and we were talking on Twitter today about Hialeah and how it would be a great Breeders' Cup venue, and it would be. Um, people are kind of scratching their heads as to why they're you know they don't run a meet there, and in the end they don't run a meet there because the Brunetti brothers that run it just don't want to spend the money. They 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 have a casino there, they're raking in money and they're doing very well and. A racetrack is very expensive to run. It's very expensive to run. They don't even have a backside there. They tore all the barns down. So if they ever had a meet of any sort, which is unfortunately unlikely, um, it would be kind of a ship-in meet. And you know, they'd probably put a temporary barn for the horses to ship in to run. But... um. It's a, it's a huge expense. You have to get the racetracks themselves ready, which is which is not as easy as it sounds, um, especially when you're you're not you know you're you're only going to run a short meet. You run a little short boutique Keeneland style meet. Well, that's a that's a big investment. You're going to have to hire you know a crew to come in there and take care of that track, um, and it's it's you know it's just not easy. It's not cheap. You're going to have to to hire a lot of personnel and and uh, update their machine, blah 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 blah. You know, and they have no personal money. You're starting from from scratch, um, and I'm sure they're unwilling to give any money from the, the their slots proceeds to purses. I don't think in the history of of racinos in this country that uh, one cent has been paid to horsemen over what is required. I don't think any track has ever voluntarily given an, a a penny more than they're they're re, you know statutorily required to. Um, so it's it's asking for a lot. I mean, you have to have adequate purse money. You have to have adequate track surfaces. I mean, just to help hold just to hold a, a Breeders' Cup 
kind of meat there. Maybe old style, like they used to do at Goldstream when oh, they yeah. held the, the Breeders' Cups at Goldstream and they had like a Friday. Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of event. But I mean, Goldstream is, was, was getting, I mean, they just got it ready earlier. I mean, Goldstream would, would have been open soon thereafter, anyways, because they would be getting ready for the winter meet. But uh, I mean, to take a track that, that doesn't race at all all year and then get it ready for three days and um i mean it would have to be like the track would have to be in great condition you can't run a breeder's cup on a track that's shaky right you have to have it perfect so it's it's it would take an investment from from someone from the outside you know if the breeder's cup was willing to put up a, a big chunk of money to update the grandstand and and put a lot of the the temporary seating in and and put up a lot of the expenses i mean it might be a possibility but um it, it's it's a hard sell it's a hard sell so hmm. i mean uh you know they could just do that and have it there every year <laughs> yeah i mean honestly it, it could be part of the rotation i mean the breeders Just cup originally was supposed to go all over the country right but if you got to a situation where it was a a, a hialeah central kentucky um south you know, southern california um rotation right. it would yeah. be fine and, and if you could add belmont in which belmont is I mean, Belmont should get a Breeders' Cup, too. Again, I don't know that if Naira even wants it. Because, you know, the host tracks don't make a whole lot of money at it, either. The Breeders' Cup basically takes all the revenue. So, um, it's just, there's, it's like so many other things in racing. It's it's so complicated. And it's there's so much more behind the scenes that happens. And there's so many rules and laws and things that are, are just... Um, just complicate matters which is which is why like the things that we talk about the philosophies these are things that we can do you can change uh your betting menu yep. so you know there there's there's things that you can do and uh... anyways so we had a good time at the pop last night our man Beamy, he was there. Matter of fact, I was at Gulfstream, and I, I I was getting a piece of pizza because I was just starving, and uh, I turn around and, and there he is. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't the person I was expecting to see, but but there he was, Jason Bean was in the flesh. But um, he was over there. Um, of course, Pete. Pete doesn't have a, a spare tire. This was something that Jason and I were both kind of like stunned to find out that people don't have spare tires or donuts. And Pete said he he opted not to have when he bought the car. Don't. I didn't even know there was an option. I thought I didn't know they had a choice of of not getting even like a donut. But him and another uh, another guy who's a racing official, he he said no, he doesn't have one either. <laughs> Nobody's got spares. Which Jason and I both thought was very unusual. And it turns out Pete actually didn't have a flat tire. He had a, a, a low tire. So well, that's good, right? Yeah, he, uh, he, he was able to 
to limp to a gas station, fill it up with air, and and and, and he made it home last night. And, and of course, his phone was dead, and he didn't have a charger. So he wasn't doing donuts on the way home, which, which is which is a very which is a very announcer Pete kind of thing. But um, <laughs> but uh, no, he was there. A lot of guys were there. Our our, our guy, uh, Tony Montanino, was there, and see Tony. Um, Doug Hatton made a made an appearance. Oh my God! Doug Hatton, who's a jock agent in New Jersey, um, he started in the Standard Breads. He worked for Billy Houghton um, back in the day at Pompano when there was a training center there. Not just the the racetrack, but on the other side of the the, the road was. Um, a bunch of barns. It was kind of like the Payson Park of Trotters, and they had a big Payson, uh, a big uh, center there that that all the big outfits, Stanley Dancer and, and Billy Houghton, all the big guys would come down and bring all their babies there and train them. Um, he worked for Billy Houghton back forty years ago. He said that was the first time he'd been to Pompano in forty-one years. Oh wow! Of course, it looked a lot different, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, there was there was. Everybody kind of came out of the woodwork, but um, but we had a good time. Our man Messiah Eric Messiah was a valid at uh, at Goldstream, who, who I've known for God, I've known for ever. But uh, he was over there. His girlfriend is the outrider there, so he wasn't gonna miss it, and. Uh, <laughs> So when Pete got done announcing, he came down and then he had people to see and he went to the backside to see his horse who he's, you know, taking credit for all the horse's wins from here on in. <laughs> um, and he came over and it was him and me and uh, Beamy and, and, and Eric and Messiah. And Pete led a, he led an expedition to the, the condemned grandstand. And we uh, we searched all the floors looking for paraphernalia to uh, to abscound with. <laughs> Any good finds? Yeah, it had to find something. <laughs> we found nothing. <laughs> the place is cleaned out, man. The only thing we found first. The only thing we found was was a a portrait, like an oil painting, of the Isle of Capri founder. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> of course, nobody wants because hey, he's not exactly a hero in this business. Um, but yeah, man, I, I actually have some pictures that I'm going to post. I'm doing a story on on the closing of Pompano and some of the the subject matter that we talked about today. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, our 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 adventure. <laughs> oh, it, it was actually kind of spooky. I would say so. Yeah, at one point we lost Messiah, and we were thinking, "Uh-oh, this is like Scooby Doo, you know, where the the villain jumps out at you." But, but he 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 found his way back, and uh, then we 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 got stuck, and we wound up having to go down these ramps and out this side door, and it led to an area that we thought led out out of the grandstand, but it actually was fenced in, <laughs> and, and we we weren't climbing the fences, so. We, we yeah we we had to find an alternate route of course pete went back in because he was searching for 
um, what was he searching for? Oh, mugs, Pompano mugs that Jason Blewett had told him existed on like the fifth floor. So it was almost like a treasure hunt, except there was no treasure. No map either. Uh, no, we did not have a map. <laughs> but I do have some pictures, though. I do have photos of, of the, the search. <laughs> I kept laughing, saying we're going to have to call Gabe. Security's going to lock us up. <laughs> where, where, guys, where are you? <laughs> uh, we got arrested for trespassing. But it, it was, um, you know, it was, it was a sad night, and it was something that has been coming for years. And I think that it's a little bit disingenuous for people to believe that that racing compact last spring, which decoupled them, finished them off because the fact of the matter was they were getting ready to stop racing there no matter what. And if push comes to shove, the state's going to let them keep the casino. That's going to happen in the state of Florida. It's going to happen. Happened happened to us at Calder. Calder was absolutely in violation of, of state laws. Absolutely in violation. We sued them. The horsemen of, 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 of the Gulfstream horsemen sued them. We won two lawsuits against them. And they never pulled them to plug on the machines for one minute. Never <laughs> stopped. They operated without a license for, for a while. State never made them stop. And when you find out when you're in these administrative uh, law courts that, uh, I mean, the way it was explained to me was that basically if it's in the view of the state that um, enforcing the the ruling is, is, is detrimental to the state as a whole and doesn't provide any uh, you know, safety issues to the general public that they can just ignore them, which they did. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they can do what they want, basically. <laughs> it just gets back to the old adage that, you know, the pre people with the, the money are the people with the power because they're not going to shut them down because they're bringing in a lot more money than we are. And that's all there is to it. And in this state, it, you know, the real power lies with the Seminoles. Not Florida State, Naj. <laughs> they still sting. Matter of fact, I ever think Florida State would become a basketball school instead of a football school. No. Sidebar. But no, the Seminoles controlled the legislature. I mean, whatever they want. Um, and they also give the state five hundred million dollars a year. <laughs> which that helps. That's uh yeah. And and honestly, for what they got that hasn't come to pass, but to get an exclusive on sports wagering. Well, they almost had in the state of Florida. They tried to trick for, everybody for, for uh, they were paying 400 million a year before, before they had any of this stuff, but to get all that they got and sports wagering on top for $500 million a year is a great deal. Steel steel, especially compared to New York where the people, the, 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 the books are paying like 54% tax rate some some crazy tax rate but um yeah it, it was gonna happen and it just was gonna happen and you know the horsemen there just don't have any power uh, the, the the contract that they signed wasn't very good initially they got a lot less a lot smaller percentage of the slot money than than we did um 
So, so it's just, uh, you know, kind of disheartening. And I mean, you understand why it happened and you realize there really is nothing that we could have done to stop it because of the property value. It just, you're never going to have any racing venue that could make enough money, um, to, to, to counter that. But, but it, it's, I mean, when I was a kid, we would see like Pompano that held the breeders count a bunch of years and, you know, you'd watch them on ESPN and be in November and be freezing cold up there in upstate New York. And you'd watch Pompano and the people in their short sleeves and palm trees and thinking, man, that's a place I'd like to go. And then once it started coming down here, you know, I would, I would go, I wouldn't go, I, I didn't go in the beginning on a regular basis, but when I moved back down here in 2014, I, I lived in Pompano. And then when my life, wife and I were splitting up and still living in the same house, which got rather uncomfortable, <laughs> Pompano became a place for me to go. Like Refuge. every night it was like, I was there like almost every night um, because it was a lot less comfortable. Are a lot more comfortable than, than being home. So it was uh, just 10 minutes down the road. So I was there literally four or five nights a week. Um, you know, and, and it's like we talked about before, there's no frills. There was, uh, since COVID, there's been like not even any food. They had a small little concession stand. They closed that. They had an Italian restaurant. They closed that. They had the steakhouse, but the steakhouse is not only open on nights they don't race. It's open Fridays and Saturdays, and of course they don't race Fridays and Saturdays. So when you went there, you, you couldn't even get a soda. Well, you could go to the bar and get a soda, but you know you couldn't get a hot dog or nachos or any any anything. Nothing. There's no food. Sunday night they brought the barbecue up this year, um, but that was just one night and. Um, like I said, it was it was a no frills. The 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 the, the TVs were um, decidedly non non, <laughs> non high def. <laughs> the TV's the same age as I am. Yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> it was constant issues with electric, with the lights going out, with the power going out, with the starting car conking out, with the flooding. With I mean, there was always kind of issues, but. But the difference between between Pompano and a big track or a bigger track is that everybody knew that Gabe was operating the place like on a shoestring budget. Um, you know, they were literally using like duct tape to to fix things, and and the expectation level was just lower, and it was just kind of part of the lure. And I was there the night I was actually in the booth with Gabe. He, in the announcer's booth the day that the the, the fire horse wouldn't leave the track nope. after he yeah. won the race <laughs> which was one of the craziest things I've ever seen he just wouldn't leave he just kept going around and they, the outrider tried to grab him and every time she tried to grab him he like ducked and it was getting it was getting actually more dangerous and they just called her off and said just just let him go eventually get tired except he, he wasn't getting tired <laughs> <laughs> he went around there about six or seven extra times. And then they finally tried, you know, they, they ran him off the track. He went straight towards a fence. He went right through the bar, the, not the bar, by the uh, chain link fence. And, 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 and the driver fell off and 
he was running around the backside. That, that was that was nuts. That was that was like it was so funny because I was talking with Gabe about something and then I noticed I was like they didn't take a winner's circle picture. And he, he got the binoculars. He go, Oh yeah, look, the horse is still out there. What's he doing? <laughs> and then the judges, you know, there's his his booth is next to the judges where the judges are and, and they have a little kind of um like sliding little tiny door i guess and and the judges called and said the horse won't leave the track <laughs> so what do you mean he won't leave the track is he won't go he won't go back he won't go back to the paddock he's just he won't leave the track uh, just uh that was that was that was crazy. but but it's just another place that's gone you know and, and uh it's, that's really I think Pull a Pocket had a really good quote last night um, about comparing sports venues, like traditional sports, real sports, to to racetracks. And um, you know his his quote was, uh, um, he said, "I find it quite nostalgic when a racetrack closes." In other sports, the same arena goes, but we know it's replaced with a newer one. Tracks, they just go. Right. It's almost like when a team would leave city, like when the Baltimore Colts left or or the Raiders when they left Oakland. Did they leave Oakland, like, what, three times? Or I was the Rams say, when they left St. Louis? Or, yeah. <clears throat> it's, uh, I mean, go way back when the, when the Giants and Dodgers left new york city um i mean uh, but eventually they they usually get replaced but tracks nowadays they close and and they're just gone they're just gone and the people in that area just don't have have a track anymore and it's happened at suffolk it's happened um i mean obviously arlington was was the big uh you know the big closing but um atlantic city you know, Atlantic City kind of faded away, but they had that little spring meet and until they didn't. Rockingham. Uh, Rockingham. Uh, Calder. Calder was another one that Ugh. it faded. They tore the grandstand down and and it just was like, you know, Gulfstream was running the thing and, and essentially was telling people, don't go. And people went anyways. But it, it was people, you know, you, you were kind of told not to go Hollywood Park Bay Meadows back in the day Roosevelt Raceway Liberty Bell Grandion Garden State uh, Maywood Balmoral Sportsman's Park none of them are replaced replaced they just go away and the idea that that the business can just contract itself to health it's just not it's just not about can't can't so anyways hmm. yeah it sucks it's, it's sad <clears throat> yeah I mean it's 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 a tough thing to take because 
it's just kind of slipping away from us a little bit at a time. And, you know, this time of the year, thoroughbred racing, this is when people get geared up, right? The winter's over and moving on to the spring tracks. Belmont will be open soon. They're racing on the, on the turf up north and uh, Churchill. They have the big week, Derby week. And uh, it's just, uh, you, know, you know, Saratoga won't be far off. Delaware will be open soon. Monmouth will be open soon. But to see it, another one go, I mean, you start to think, all right, who's next? Who's right. next? It's just a, a terrible trend, you know. And it's not all the time. And like you said, it's it's going slowly, but it's going. And that's the alarming part about the whole thing. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, Ed DeRosa put out some stats this morning or yeah, this morning about uh handle trends and Keeneland is doing great. Uh but like Hawthorne is <laughs> down like 39%. And I was thinking, man, why why are they down so much? You'd think that they would be up and I guess field size is down a little a tick, but I mean, it's like, man, Things are tough in Chicago. Arlington would would be gearing up right now. It'd be a couple of weeks to opening day, and people would be uh, in a better mood. You know, they survived winter in Chicago, and spring is coming. And now, it's 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 gone. They don't have that. So it's just Hawthorne, and Hawthorne is going to convert back to a harness track midsummer for a couple months which is really going to throw things for a loop in Chicago. So until until another track is built for the harness tracks, and, and there was one that was supposed to be built a couple years ago, and then <laughs> politics got involved, and the guy who was financing it had some, some shady dealings, some issues, and all of a sudden his license got pulled, and then the track was never built. So now you're in a situation where you have... Uh, two breeds that both need uh, the same track and, and both require a different type of track and uh, splitting the thing up. And it's, it's, it's not an ideal situation at all, but at least they still have, have something, but it, it was, it was a little alarming to see the handle off quite as much as it, it, it it's been. And uh, admittedly, I, I really haven't looked at the races either. So I'm, I'm to blame as much as anyone. But uh, but that's the way it goes. We must forge ahead. It's why the wagering side is so important, and the 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 other stuff that that racing seems to like focus on so much just isn't. It just isn't. In the end, money talks. <laughs> if there was some force that 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 prevented uh, the Pompano owners from from developing that land, some ironclad law that for fifty years they couldn't do anything with it, Pompano would still be open. It's a money thing. 
it's not an anti-racing thing. It's that we can make more money doing something else. And we love the game. The people, that is one thing I think like it comes through in today's Twitter argument. It wasn't really an argument, but a uh, discussion of Hialeah. In we love the game. We we would love to go to Hialeah and, and have another meet there. Uh, Hialeah is, is a magical place almost. If you've never been there, um, it just was, it had these qualities. Uh, you know how they build the stadiums and they try to put some of the old time, you know, old school uh, things in? Uh, this was, the whole place was old school. Right. It, it, it was. This is how it used to be because this is how, you know, this is how it was back then. It's not the whole hell of a lot different than it was uh, 75 years ago. Um, and I say that in a good way, uh, but it was, um, it was a great, great place to train horses. And I was fortunate enough to get a couple years there, um, to race there a little bit. And, and yeah, we horsemen and, and betters would love that. It would be great. It'd be awesome. Be a great place to have the breeders come. The problem is finances. It's finances. Uh, or Grant's Pass. Oh, yeah. No meat. No meat. And I talked to Beanie about it, and the guys, he's like, yeah, you know, the guys, he goes, the guy's got, you know, pocket change that, that he could cover the purses and stuff, but it's, he's just not willing to do it. He wants to make it a, a you know, he, he's got a, a, a casino of sorts, a slot room of sorts, card room of sorts that, that has, you know, questionable legality, so the course the state's shutting it down and the guys i guess the guy's not made a lot of political uh has uh, friends in, in the political arena so um you know grant's pass is closed and all of the people that were counting on going there and i know it's just a little little bullshit track out in the middle of nowhere but there's still people that that are, that are involved in there and people like me actually bet the stupid place it's actually the only track i've seen the win at but, uh, you know, could the guy just go into his pocket and, and, and run the meat? Absolutely. No problem. Wouldn't wouldn't cost him uh, probably one-tenth of one percent of his of his uh, net worth. He's not going to do it. So it's why I, I sometimes I complain about Jeff Gorell at the Meadowlands. And that sometimes he, he, he was not, not now, but there was times in the past where he was wanting to take money from purses and use it for marketing. And one of the problems the Meadowlands had was that they were struggling to compete purse-wise with the tracks that had slots when they didn't. And I was thinking to myself, man, the amount of money we're talking about, this guy is worth a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's not like he's a guy that's worth $20 million and he's, he's like, you know, he's putting every single penny he, he has into the place and he's looking for you know, people to partner up with him. I mean, it, it's, he's, he's a guy of considerable wealth and yeah, we, we're not supposed to spend other people's money, but for us, for other people that love the game and, and Garel, you know, he's a player. He's, he, he owns a bunch of horses. He's bred a lot of horses. So it's, it's not like he, he didn't just do this for the financial standpoint, but I guess maybe I come from a, a point of, of view of of a horse 
in some cases would be spending, you know, 30 or 40% of my net worth buying horses. <laughs> Sadly, it wasn't like I was buying real expensive ones either, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just sometimes hard for to register how a person won't spend right. like you one, spend one half of one percent of their net worth to to make something really good. Like I would do it, I would spend a lot more, but they just don't do it. And it's just like I said earlier, I don't think a single penny from a a, a slot machine that that's that's been paid to the racing industry that hasn't been completely required. Oh, but there's a difference between between love and money. And, you know, we love the game. A lot of the people that call the shots in, in, in horse racing don't. And I'm not just talking about racing either. I, I, I shouldn't say just horse racing, but in the, the horse racing industry. I'm talking to you, breeders. I'm talking to you, consigners. Sometimes you guys do stuff for money. It's not just trainers that that do things that are that are questionable or jockeys. It's every every business, I'm sure, that uh, corners are cut to 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 make more profits. So, but we're not going to solve that problem tonight. No, unfortunately. <laughs> so everything else okay up there and uh daytona you went to uh to mobile yeah no little, little mini vacation saw my son in the navy and kind of how that was very relaxing actually <clears throat> i you know didn't play any races funny enough um no, that's not true. I did. I did. Not many, though. I, I did throw down a couple of win bets. Um, half hit, half didn't. But, um, you know, it, it was really relaxing, you know, especially this time of year. It was probably the perfect time to do that because, obviously, the, the three-year-old season is ramping up. And, you know, summer racing, it's it's a little busy. But, um, yeah, yeah, you know, it just, it just fell, you know, in perfect timing. So took advantage, you know, the weather was absolutely perfect. Couldn't ask for anything better. Um, other than the fact that we drove instead of flew, that was probably like the, the biggest buzzkill of the whole thing was driving back home six hours. <laughs> yeah. Not a big fan. Anything over four hours. It's rough for me. How far is Mobile from Birmingham? I think it's quite far. I was going to say, you know, you know the. You, I know the, the XFL was on. I was watching it. The USFL, sir. Yeah, USFL. Yeah, I was. I, I actually found myself watching the game yesterday. It was actually interesting. It was bad football, to be honest. But well, you have brand new teams. Yeah, I mean, no one's played. They played no exhibition games. <laughs> And um, yeah, it was ugly. It was ugly. I mean, it's 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 gotta it's gonna get better, I guess. But uh, 
But that was kind of it was kind of a flashback to the to to, to our childhood, you know. Yeah, when uh... I, I like that they kept the same names and the same. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a little weird because they're playing all the games at Birmingham, but uh, yeah, Flutie playing that league too, right? Yeah, yeah. He played with uh, Hershey Jim Walker. Kelly. Jim Kelly for the Generals. Yeah, yeah, the, the New Jersey Generals. Jim Kelly played for the Houston Gamblers. A lot of a lot of good players played. Steve Young played for the LA Express. That's right. I think the I think he played for the LA Express, but um, it was uh, I mean it it, it they made a lot of mistakes and uh, it's it's a good point about um, you know, talking earlier about uh, lawsuits that you win that you really don't win. <laughs> I mean, the USFL sued the NFL and won the lawsuit and and got uh, awarded one buck, which killed the first USFL. I mean, they were going to kind of force their way into the NFL, but it, it just didn't happen that way. But um, you know, networks are, are are desperate for live content, so I mean, if it can be viable, I mean, the XFL actually seemed like it was going to be okay, and then COVID hit. Which just killed it too. So it was kind of interesting. Watch some of the NBA games. A lot of blowouts. Blowouts early. Yeah, the Nets Celtics game was very good. Yeah, yeah, that was a good game. He killed the Hawks. Um, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't even close. Yeah, it was a beatdown. Yeah, I mean the Hawks aren't as good as they were last year. No, and I mean they were a little bit of a disadvantage, and they just played two games. They played Saturday or Friday night, and then have to come to Miami to play the 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 one o'clock game on on Sunday afternoon. They just never had a they they just got blitzed from the start, but, uh, missing their start, which doesn't help. But but it, I think you're gonna see. I think in in the end, I think, uh, and, a, and a lot of these teams are coming off a week off, which doesn't seem like that much. But in the NBA, these guys yeah, are playing every day, every other day, and a week off is it's enough to throw your timing off just enough, and you know just rusty enough. But um, yeah, there's there's going to be some really good series. So, so that I had a little baseball. I don't know, God. I haven't played like fantasy baseball in a couple of years, and I hardly know half the guys. <laughs> well, I think a lot of that too is COVID. Things changed and all that kind of stuff over the last couple of years. So, you don't just... think maybe maybe teams have, have kind of followed Tampa Bay, and that they could get younger guys that weren't making very much money and and get just about the same production and. And just surround a couple, you know, good, really good players with a lot of up and coming guys, and and be competitive. And it seems like that to to work. I mean, Houston used it to to go from worst to first. And I know the the cans and all that stuff, but <laughs> the fact was that they used all those draft picks to get all those good players, and they really have not re-signed any of them. They let Korea walk. They let Springer walk. Altuve is the only guy that really signed, and, and uh, 
think baseball teams are, are more apt to do that now because that that the that money ball model of 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 trying to get production from a player and not letting him become uh you know a drag on their payroll though there are like the orioles who just i mean i think the orioles entire payroll for the 20 man 25 man roster is the same as what mike trout makes they yeah they just can't get it right but um for whatever reason But there's a lot of stuff going on, so. Yeah, this is a good time of year to be a sports fan in general. You know, you got Kentucky Derby coming up. Hockey's in full swing. Baseball, basketball playoffs. Now you got USFL, if you like that. (laughs) I know the betters like that stuff. Yeah. Betters like the USFL. I would love to know how they came up with the lines for the first week of USFL. Right. (laughs) They had, they had nothing going to work with. They had lines, though. They definitely did. Yeah. Even golf, you know, golf is another one that's that gets action. You know, I was surprised that the tennis internationally, a ton of money is bet on tennis, tennis and cricket. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Well, cricket's big in a country that has like ten billion people. But like tennis is is and apparently like there's more issues with corruption in tennis than any other sport. Hmm. And when you think about it, tennis would be an easy sport to throw. Well, it's one person. It's one person, and and I mean, how hard is it to hit him a little bit longer, or hit it or into the net, or hit it a little wider? You know what I'm saying? It's 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 uh, it, it would it would seem to be something that you could manipulate a lot easier in other sports. So. Yeah, I never thought we'd get to a situation where you could literally bet on anything. <laughs> well, we're, we're there. <laughs> well, in Florida, we're not. Well, yeah, not we. But it, it, it'll get sorted out eventually, and they'll compromise or they'll fix the compact and they'll do something and it's far 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 too much money here in this state and way way too lucrative to uh to let it go on forever without it so we had it for a month i know there was a big controversy in kentucky oh man yeah that was over the sports wagering and it just seems like pure politics right there's no reason for them not to no Uh, right down the middle fastballs the political fastball right down the middle it's no other excuse for not calling it for a vote because they didn't call for a vote because it would have passed and and i don't believe it's got anything to do with morality or religion or (laughs) ethics that's a nonsense it's got to do with the out-of-state casinos lining the pockets of the politicians period That's who has the most to lose. Whoever has the most to lose will be the person or the organization that spends the most to keep it that way, to keep the status quo. Who who serves to make do best with the status quo? The casinos and the the, the uh, sports betting operations on the other side of the state lines. That's where the 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 um 
that that's where the uh, the influence came from. Yeah. Guaranteed, guaranteed. So, oh well. I mean, if you live in if you live in Lexington, you got to make the drive. If you live in Louisville, it's it's an easy drive, right across the river. Well, not money. It's probably the the only thing Florida and Kentucky have in common. <laughs> yeah. And it would have got fixed here if they just had listened to Daniel Wallach. Who told them what they were doing wrong and they <laughs> right. did it anyways. They did it despite. This is not gonna... It was pretty incredible that he, he basically said. He nailed it. It's not going to pass. It's going to get. This is going to happen. It's going to the the Department of Interior is going to say okay. You're going to sign off on it, and it's going to. There's going to be a federal lawsuit, and a, and a federal judge is going to reverse it, and they're going to reverse it on these grounds. And <laughs> he had it 100. Wrote it. It was, it was like it was like a it was like a movie script, and he just wrote the thing because that's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. So. But man, November first to December first, it was glorious. <laughs> so, a lot of action. A lot of action. Couldn't even get on it on the weekend. You couldn't even deposit on the weekend. You had to deposit during the week. Just to be able to play. Yeah. It was it was loaded. Well, till next week. Oh, you saw Jackie's Warriors race? Yes, I did. It was a pre- uh, Craig gave him a pretty high rating for that race. The pace was super fast. Yeah, he he, he was going fast. He was quick. He's always. You know, if you recall last year, his first race, I think, was the Southwest, and that was the two turn race. In the slop too, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and remember he he ran to like the three quarter pole and just like ah. just yeah, he had nothing. No, he he was not that sharp last year. His first start off the layoff, no, but he was real sharp the second, the third, and fourth. Uh, I think people discounting him should should at least take one more uh, one more view of that. Uh, I think he's he's going to run what they say on Derby Day, or are they waiting? I think. Honestly, I didn't even say, see what they said. If he was going to come back, they have that seven ace race on Derby Day, the Churchill Downs handicap. Man, that was that was one of the better races last year. Yeah, I don't know if he'll come back. This this coming weekend is the um, the Apple Blossom, which is really getting to be kind of like the signature one of the signature Philly races of the year. Small field, but pretty loaded a small field but four really good horses and then one that looks a little overmatched but latrushka uh clarier um cc keeping her going long last year's well cup philly amare sprint winner and sprint champion standing firm on betting against latrushka and who else marjuka marjuka's in there maracuja whatever her name is and then the other horse yeah, I'm just but, uh, I'm just vehemently against Latruska in any spot until she retires. Just anti Latrushka. Not that she's not good or I don't 
appreciate her as a racehorse. I just can't as a better. She's not getting in. Well, I don't no. think she's going to be the type of price that you would play anyways. No. <laughs> to no. me, she's, she, I mean, she looms as like a even money, six to five shot, maybe. <laughs> uh, Cece will take some money. I think, um, uh, I don't think she'll be quite as big of a of chalk as she was last year. I mean, honestly, this is a tougher race Much than tough. most of the races she ran in last year. Including the one that she lost. Yeah, well, the, the Breeders' Cup, well, that, that race was, that was really, there was a couple insane paces in the Breeders' Cup. That was really nuts. And, and you know, saying that, understanding that the timing was off, uh, but still, like, that race in particular was just, that was like the nuclear, when I talk about, like, a nuclear pace meltdown, that was a nuclear pace meltdown. Yeah, you hardly ever see that anymore. That, that was just a, a, a wild, um, a wild pace. But, uh, yeah, that should be a pretty good, that should be a pretty good race. Uh, I can't talk. Uh, Corniche finally made a, a work the other day. <laughs> yeah. Derby ready. I've never seen an undefeated two-year-old champion have less <laughs> um interest than this one like nobody cares about this horse nobody asks about the horse nobody talks about the horse ever <laughs> <laughs> he's undefeated he's undefeated he's a two-year-old champion he's had one work in 2022 and nobody has anything to say about him good bad or indifferent nothing he's just like totally forgotten totally forgotten yeah, it's because that race, the Breeders' Cup was so bad. <laughs> the juvenile was so bad, nobody even wants to talk about it. It, it was. It's, it's it's amazing how many horses have come out of that race that just that just haven't done anything. And it can and it continues. Every, every who was it this week that came out of it? Papa Cap, right? Oh no, he was last week. His last. Uh, there was somebody else came out of it this week. Um, it's just not doing anything. Um, <laughs> can't think of it, but maybe it was last weekend. But no, nobody is uh, nobody's doing anything. It's it's like the anti key race. <laughs> you don't get those very often. It's the unkey race. It's not key at all. The problem now is that, like, it's useless information because there's like nobody else left in from the race to to run. All right, they're all laid up or not running. I guess and... Corniche, if he ever actually makes it back to a race, he can be a heavy bet against no matter where where he lands. He's won. He's already won two. Uh, Two stakes, so he has no conditions. He's going to have to come back in a stake. <laughs> oh, the other thing I was going to announce. Uh, I, I'm not paying attention to Derby, and I'm not talking about that guy this week at all. We don't need to. I think. Don't talk. 
No, not not, that... not just not just tonight. The rest of the week. Like, yeah. You don't, you need, don't to. need to talk to him. Nope. Don't need to talk about it. Even today, it's is <clears throat> uh you know they they denied another court appeal. It, it's it's almost died died out now that he's kind of taken the days, and I'm sure right before the derby, it'll it'll become a topic again because the mainstream right uh, media that covers is going to be making it a story. But but uh no, it it was nice that it was just just quiet background noise you know. yeah, actually the, the that that person was is in florida saw a picture of him and the family in west <laughs> uh in uh up in jupiter with one of the owners taking a little vacay hmm. i don't blame him florida's a nice place man yeah no no doubt so so there all tiger right well is it tiger's uh, it wasn't at Tiger's house. No, <laughs> gotta get Tiger on the on the on the ownership bandwagon. Tiger seems to me like he'd be one of those owners that wouldn't pay because he figures, you know, hey, you're gonna use notoriety and me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna actually pay the bills. Like you want, you want to pay? Like what? I'm doing you a favor. The OBS sale starts tomorrow, by the way. Yeah, a four day affair. Oof! Some guys have been up there clocking works. They've been up there for weeks. Sarge, she's been up there firing away. <laughs> she knows works. It's uh, I give them credit. It's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of work to sit out there and watch those horses work because they work them one at a time. You're talking about like twelve hundred horses. So you're seeing like twelve hundred works, That's one beast. at a time, and they renovate the track after every I don't know ten of them. So it's it takes a long time. It's hot, and it's, but uh, it's it's just tedious. You're just standing there. Like it'd be great if you could get them to work every like. Like a parade of sorts, you know, where one would work and then, and then 10 seconds later, another one would break off and 10 seconds later, another one would break off. But that's just not how it happens. But I'm sure it'll do fine. The sales seem like they're the same as they've been for years. The top does great. Everybody complains there's no middle and the bottom horses people are giving away. So... That's my that's my sales prediction. Okay, you, you could almost write the quotes now. <laughs> it's so funny how they talk. Oh, this one ticks. He ticks all the boxes. <laughs> oh, scopy individual. Oh, he covers <laughs> a lot of ground. Look how he covers that. He's so he's an it's athletic, almost, you know, athletic like, type. Remember, like remember, a draft upside and you know remember, the buzzwords. You remember all your all those buzzwords were used. And then next Winter year, man. the next oh, year when when they're in in for maiden twenty five because they got beat forty two lengths the first start. <laughs> Not covering so much ground now, is he, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's funny. They got a job to do. I get it. They're you know they're selling selling horses. That that's their that's their breeders' cup. You know when the horse gets through goes through the ring. That's that's their. That's their breeder's cup. Yeah, it's 
bring a lot. Sometimes they bring a little, and it's a, it's it's not an easy business. A lot of things go wrong. Things go right, and a lot of things go wrong. Two year old in trainings was never really my thing, uh, but a lot of that was budgetary. <laughs> so. I just always felt like I had a much better shot of getting a good horse, buying him as a yearling than I did as a two year old, because essentially with the budget I had for most of my career, we would be buying the horses that worked really slow. <laughs> and, uh, or, or if they did work fast, they would have no pedigree or they would have some sort of, uh, physical issue that we're going to have to deal with. And I, I just never liked the idea that, uh, or I shouldn't say I didn't like the idea, but I liked the idea of getting a horse as a baby and kind of controlling all of his training from day one. Not that I was actually there doing it, but knowing what went on with the horse from the first day you, you put a guy hopped up on his back and then got him ready to carry the weight and carry a person and then do all the, the basics. Because when you buy a two-year-old in training, they've been training for a long time and they train them hard. I mean, that's, like I said, the, their, their Super Bowl is that, that ring, that arena. So they need them to go out there and work as fast as they can work. And that's, you know, the good ones seem like they, they can, they survive it and they thrive. The two-year-old sales, when you go back and, and you look, most of the good horses that come out of two-year-old sales are the ones that sold for a lot of money. And with yearlings, that's not necessarily so. We, last year, when we were kind of doing that, our weekly, <laughs> uh, you know, bargain price, greatest stakes report, we saw lots of them that were yearlings. We didn't see very many that were cheap two-year-olds. So, but uh, no, I, I bought a lot of good horses as, as yearlings for, man, not a whole lot of money. But yearlings is like trying to draft, you know, 14-year-olds. Two-year-old trainings, that, that's that's like drafting four-year college players. You've seen a lot. You've seen yeah. how fast they can go, and, or at least how fast they can go under those conditions and, 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 and such. But, yeah, I was, I was really, I was a yearling guy, not a, not a two-year-old guy. But it's always, you know, it's kind of interesting to see the new horses and see uh, who uh, who gets the hype and, which stallions horses sell well and which stallions horses don't sell well. And it's like I said, it's still a crapshoot until they go out there and run. Who knows? You know, like I think a lot of people thought Gunrunner would be a good stallion. I don't think anybody thought he'd be <laughs> the massive success that he's been. Right. I mean, who, who, who expects that? I mean, in your wildest dreams, he's just had like, and he just went from like a, a rookie fresh freshman sire to like one of the top three talents in the world or in, in this in North America, like immediately. Very, very, very unusual. Doesn't happen very often, but uh, but it, but you know, it's it's a it's a tough tough business. 
All right. Well, uh, we'll talk next week and uh, check out the Apple Blossom this weekend. Seems like it's the big race of the weekend. That gets Keeneland's got a Keeneland will have good cards. It just uh, I don't don't I don't think they have any grade ones left. Um, frankly, I didn't even look at the the weekend schedule yet. So, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it, and maybe next week we'll talk a little bit about uh, what's happened for, with the Derby horses this week. Who dropped out, if anybody, and see if yeah. anyone took any exciting bath pictures. Oh yeah, those are my favorite. You and Jay Pritton love the bath photos. <laughs> All right. All right, my man. All right. We'll talk. Thanks for listening, everyone.